It's just, I don't know, it's kind of a, a hobby of ours. We just like kind of being aware. I give Brittany a hard time that any, any house between Godrich and, and Grand Bend and Clinton that's been for sale in the last 10 years, Brittany knows exactly what it looks like on the inside because she's been checking out the pictures on realtor.ca. I, I'm not, I, I do as well. I'm not quite, quite that intense about it. But we enjoy watching real estate. And last week I was doing some... Uh, just some looking around on realtor.ca and, and looking at, at the app there and just kind of cruising through looking at stuff. And I drifted all the way out to the Maritimes. Don't ask me why. I was, just, I was wasting time, let's be honest. And uh, so I'm, I'm looking away and I found this house that was on the cliff overlooking the Atlantic Ocean. It was something I couldn't, the house, by the time I got preparing for my sermon, the house had sold. So I couldn't get the exact picture. But it was something like this. Like it wasn't like a crazy fancy house, but it was a nice house on this gorgeous cliff. I'm looking at it, I'm like, Oh, man, like probably for what we could get for our house, we could get this house on a cliff looking over the ocean. I was like, Brittany, check out this. Now, don't, don't get worried. We're not going to move to the Maritimes. <laughs> but there's, there's this, this part of me that's like, oh, wouldn't that be nice? And as I reflected on it later and asking that question, why was I feeling this way? Why was I feeling like this tug of my heart to be like, that'd be really nice? Like, what's going on within me? And as I reflect on it, I I think, and this is a reality that I think that all or at least most of us feel, that in life, uh, the same old, or life when things feel chaotic or overwhelming, and I wouldn't say life's been particularly chaotic or overwhelming, but it hasn't been, it's not always easy these days, and and so there's like this pull to leave what's troubling or challenging behind and to go somewhere new and exciting. And like, how great would that be to vacate by the edge of the ocean, enjoy this. I guess there you'd have to enjoy the sunrises and just put my feet up and, and just leave all my troubles behind and that would be paradise. That would be so good. And realizing that there's this, this pull within my heart, which I think that most of you feel also, this draw to escape what's maybe challenging or overwhelming or just not as ideal as what you thought uh, life might be like. Does anybody else ever feel that sometimes? I, th- I think that's what was going on in my heart and why I thought this would be pretty great to, to move to this house on the cliff. And so as I was reflecting on our text this morning, I was thinking about the Trinity, the Holy Trinity, God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I was thinking about them sitting in heaven, conversing with one another. This God in three persons, they're in perfect relationship. I think they're pretty good friends and they work through things together. And I imagine them sitting up there talking to me like, did you see what's going on down there? It's like, oh, good heavens. I can't believe this. And thinking of them looking, now, I don't, I don't think this is necessarily how they talk to one another, but, I, you know, I was, I was wondering if they look at each other and say, this is just, like, it's unreal what's going on down there, what they've gotten themselves into. Do you think that they might have ever said, I'm out. I can't deal with this anymore. They've got themselves into such a fix. No matter what we do, they just do whatever they want. It gets worse and worse. Like, I'm out. They can figure it out. I'm going my own, I'm going my own way. I'm going to take care of myself. You know, in, in, in heaven, the, the golfing's probably pretty good. The streams are pure. The feasts are marvelous, and you don't put on pounds as you feast. <laughs> and if you imagine, for them, they'd have said, you know, we're pretty good friends here. Like, life is good. We don't have to bother with that down there. Do you think that the members of the Trinity ever talk like that? I don't think they do. 
because we, we, they've revealed who they are to us. We know that they are good and committed to us. But if I was in their shoes, I'd be pretty tempted to say that. I'm not getting involved with that. Look at how we, we created this and it's beautiful and it's good and, and we keep loving them and keep giving them good things and it just gets worse and worse. Like, I'm checking out. They can figure it out. I think that's probably how I might respond if I was them. If I was in their position. If anybody had a right to step away from this mess that we become, I would think that Jesus would have a right to do that. He would have every right. And we all know that we've stepped away from situations that are kind of chaotic or unsettling, right? We've all done that at points. Jesus, the perfect human. Jesus, our creator. The scriptures say that each member of the Trinity was active in creation. If anybody had a right to check out and be like, I'm done. I don't need this. Jesus had the right to do that. But our text today indicates otherwise. Our text today shows us that Jesus did the exact opposite. Our text today shows us that God, in his love, stepped directly into this horrid mess. If you can excuse me, I got a tickle in my throat, so just one moment. No, go away. (laughs) I invite you to to turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 18. Grab your Bible. If you don't have your Bible, grab your phone. If you don't have a Bible app on your phone, you should get one this week. We can have the scriptures with us wherever we go. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 18. Give you another moment to turn there, to thumb there. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped and used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like the stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ 
that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. We're in the midst of our series called Joy, No Matter What. And we see in this text here, the theme of joy a couple of times. Verse 2, he says, make my joy complete. Later on, he says, at the close, I'm glad and I rejoice with all of you, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. This path of joy is a path of laying down our lives for one another. Now, this text has a number of key imperatives in it, a number of key kind of commands or instructions. First, we see it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And then we've got another one that says, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. And the next one, do everything without grumbling or complaining. Good instruction. Who doesn't want to live that way? Like, I'd rather not grumble and complain. I'd love to be someone who could be described as laying down my life and not being selfish, not working for my own ambition. Like, you know, we want to be like that. Now, in, in my message this morning, I could spend a pile of time really hammering those home. I could give you maybe a, a bunch of great illustrations about how people have lived this way, kind of ideas and tips for how to not grumble and complain. I could do that. But I feel like God is actually directing our attention to focus on Him and the vision of who He is in this text. In the middle of the text, we have an incredible vision of Jesus. This was actually, these, these verses 6 to 11 that describe who Jesus is, is a, it's an old, they, they believe it actually was an early hymn with the church. And that's why it's written in a bit more poetic form. That's why you might see it in italics and maybe indented in your text. Because Paul's not writing this. He's actually likely taken this from a hymn that the church regularly sang glorying in who Jesus was, declaring the goodness of who Jesus was, and they kind of pull it in, he pulls that hymn into his text to use here. So we have this image of who Jesus is, who he was, and the intent is that this vision of who Jesus is will inspire us to live in these selfish ways, unselfish ways, (laughs) will inspire us to live in unselfish ways. God's been saying to me lately, to try to shift a little bit more to focus on who he is rather than what I ought to do. I recognize, and you can probably see it in my preaching, I'm going to guess that probably no one here would actually disagree with me on this. It's easy for me to look at the scriptures and to see what I need to do in response. I want to, I want to become more like Jesus. I want to become a better person. So what can I do differently? What can I do better? And so that's my inclination. When I'm reading a passage It's about what does this say to me about how I ought to live. And Jesus has been saying to me, the Holy Spirit's been highlighting for me, Ryan, step back. You can't skip over who I am and what I've done for the sake of what you can do. And and so I actually think that God is currently, this was a Kairos moment in 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 another huddle that I'm in right now. This was a Kairos moment that God is actually leading me right now when I read the scriptures to to not even worry about what it says about how I ought ought to respond, but to focus in on who God is and what God has done and and kind of just leave the rest for now because I so easily go to that to kind of 
self-correct or to get in a better balance. Right now, I've got to focus on who God is and what God has done. And so as we look at the text this morning, that's going to be our focus. We're going to fix our eyes on Jesus. And I believe that the clear vision we have of who Jesus is, I believe that the more we receive that message of love, the more we're inspired by who he was, it'll naturally work itself out in our lives. Now, we need this instruction. We need this reminder to not grumble and complain. But I'll be a whole lot better at not grumbling and complaining when it's founded on or flowing from this vision of who Jesus is. And so we're going to look at Jesus. We're going to look at how Jesus levels down. Verse 6, it starts off and it says, who being, so this is all about Jesus, who being in very nature God. This is a key truth. If we want to understand who Jesus is, he was God, he was divine, he was a full member of the Trinity. He's not some human that God went and chose and said, you'll do my work for me. He was God. He was active in creation, fully God, fully man. Core Christian doctrine, core Christian understanding. Jesus was fully God. And by being fully God, he was perfect. He'd been in heaven. I described earlier a little bit of like, life was perfect. Couldn't have been better. Fully divine, all-knowing, all-loving, all-powerful. Verse 6 goes on, it says, but he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Maybe your translation says something to be grasped. Something to be grasped, something to be used to his own advantage. Jesus leveled down. He's got this place of honor and power and authority. He's got everything in his grasp. And he says, this isn't mine to hold fast to. I'm actually going to let it go, and I'm going to level down. When we play video games, we want to level up. There's been some fierce, we've, we've been playing, and we got a Wii. We're, we're always 10 years behind kind of what's, what's new and exciting. But we got a Wii for Christmas. I'm playing lots of Super Mario Brothers right now. The kids are way better than Dad at it. The first couple of weeks, I was really good at Mario Kart, and I could destroy them, but those days are over. It's very humbling. As we play these games, you know, we want to level up. We want to get better. We want to have higher places of honor. We want a better score. And honestly, in the house, and I wish it was me, I wish I could be the person that said, I am the best at this game. That's what we're all shooting for. I can't say that. Luke, he's actually the best at Mario Kart. He dominates us. <laughs> I'm going to start an argument in the bench back there. We want to level up. Jesus was at the top. None of us wants to level down. None of us wants to take a step back and not be as, as good or not have that, that authority or that honor. But Jesus says, I'm going to let this go and I'm going to level down for the sake of others. And so verse 7, it says, Rather, he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. So he was fully God, fully man. He became a human. Now, I think this is, it's hard for us to grasp because like, all we really know and see is being human. I don't think we can grasp how big of a leveling down that was for Jesus. But if you could think about it, think about an earthworm. Could you imagine what life would be like if tomorrow you decided, you know what, I'm going to be an earthworm? That'd be horrible. Earthworms can't drive. They can't play hockey. I'm going to guess that sex life for an earthworm is not as good as for a human. They don't have control of their lives. They're confined to the dirt. And to imagine for God to step down to be a human would be a far more drastic step than if tomorrow you were to be limited 
to what an earthworm does. So I don't know. I don't think that's a complete or an exact illustration, but I hope maybe that sort of gets our mind around this massive step down for Jesus. Jesus humbled himself, and he took on the very nature of a servant. Or to think of it, it'd be as if, it'd be as if Justin Trudeau, the Prime Minister of Canada, great honor, and he stepped down and he said, I'm going to, I don't know, what's it, I'm going to, I don't want to pick on any, any job, I'm going to offend somebody. <laughs> but just, just think of the lowliest job that you can imagine. The job you would not want to have, and it'd be Justin Trudeau being like, all right, I'm going to step down, I'm going to do that now to serve other people. And it's more drastic than that. The text goes on to say, verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. We've heard this story over and over and over again, most of us for our whole lives, so it's not shocking to think of God dying. It's kind of like, yeah, I I mean, that's significant, we're thankful, but it's not shocking because we've heard this story our whole lives. In the Roman Empire, as the story of Jesus was told, this was a huge stumbling block. People couldn't get over it. People are like, I love this vision of the kingdom of God, but I can't place my faith in this because it does not make sense that a God would ever die. And so with the early Christian apologists, those who wrote out like reasons and arguments for why Christian faith made sense, they're kind of like the Christian philosophers. That was a big deal because they're introducing this new religion into the world, this new truth this meta-narrative. And so they spent a ton of time trying to explain how this made sense. And actually, there's evidence that in some of the early, uh, in the first couple centuries, Christian leaders, some of them actually downplayed the death of Jesus. They wanted people to believe in Jesus. They wanted people to see him as like the king of all kings and this way of peace. But they're like, oh yeah, yeah, I mean, he died on the cross, but and go on talking about how great Jesus was. They would downplay it to the point that some even denied the death of Jesus. Those who loved Jesus, they saw him as a king of kings, but they're like, yeah, we don't think he actually died. Those who claimed the label of Christian because it was such a stumbling block. It simply doesn't make sense that a God would lower himself. And, and really, among all the major religions of the world, Christianity is the only one that has a God who would suffer for the people. A creator who allowed himself to be killed. If you can imagine, because Jesus was active in creation, it says in the scriptures that God knows the number of hairs on our head. Those people that were beating Jesus, he knew their stories. He knew how many hairs were on their head as they whipped him with that lash. He was active in that forming them, knitting them together in their mother's womb as they mocked him and spit at him. Jesus leveled down for us. And to imagine the horrid agony that he experienced. He, you know, he, eternity he'd spend in heaven and glory, no, no, no shame, no guilt, no pain, all warm fuzzies in heaven and to step down from that and to experience this incredible, horrible physical pain, emotional pain, spiritual pain, separation from his Father, Jesus endured this agony. It's ridiculous. It's scandalous that Jesus 
will become obedient even to death. But then the story turns. The resurrection, verses 9 to 11, says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess or acknowledge that Jesus is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. This image. Now this text doesn't explicitly reference the resurrection, but that's how God exalted him. God lifted him high so everybody could see how good he was. God honors humility. He raises the lowly. He defeated death. He rose to life. And everybody acknowledges how great he is. It says every tongue will confess. And whether it's those who willingly choose to say, Jesus, I confess you as my king, or if it's on the day of judgment, and people arrive, and now they see how God, good God is. Not of their own will, not of their own prior decision, but they're like, yeah, like he's the king of kings. As they face and receive the meeting out of the judgment upon them, every tongue will say, yeah, Jesus is the best. Jesus leveled down for us. And this is the vision the vision, there's like this, he's great, and he's glorious, and he's also lowly, a servant, dying. Jesus leveled down for us. And, and so what, how, how does this inspire us to live as selfless people? How does this inspire us to a life without grumbling and com- complaining? I think our deepest need, the thing that we need to see and hear the most we need to receive and to feel Jesus' love, our deepest need. It's what we need more than anything else, is to receive and to feel the love of Jesus. Not just believe that it's true. Many of you have believed that for a couple years already. Some of you have believed that for 60 years. I believe that for, I don't know, 30 some odd years. I believe it. I know it. But there's this ongoing journey of continuing in deeper ways to feel that love of Jesus. Jesus didn't vacate your mess. Good heavens, we got messy lives. Your life is probably messier than anybody in this room knows. And Jesus didn't step away from it. He didn't say, I'm out, figure it out, you've had your chance. He didn't do that. Because he really, really likes you. He really, really loves you. And so he stepped into it by taking your sin, by taking your shame upon himself so that you could be set free, paying that penalty, being your substitute, going to die on your behalf. He's seen all of who you are. He has seen those of you who in a moment of intense frustration and you would never want to admit it to to anyone, but you've hit your spouse. Or maybe you hit your kids. Maybe your heart is full of bitterness beyond what anybody knows. Maybe you've had an abortion years past. Or have encouraged others to have an abortion. Maybe you despise your parents. Maybe at some point you molested somebody. Maybe you've pursued wealth. And if you're going to be truly honest, that's been more of a God. And you've hurt other people, particularly your family, because of that pursuit. Maybe you just plain think that you're always right and everybody else around you is wrong. All of us, like this mess, this nonsense that we don't want to admit but we know is deep inside of us, Jesus knows it all. He knows every single piece of it 
And yet he didn't step away. He didn't vacate it. He didn't wash his hands of you. He stepped into your mess so that he could love you. He didn't consider himself better than you. If anybody had a reason to consider themselves better than you, it was Jesus. But he didn't. He laid his life down for you, and your deepest need is to receive and to feel the love of God. This morning as we prayed together, the, the, the team, the musicians, and those of us involved in the, in the worship gathering, um, one of the things we prayed was that if anything happens this morning, or if, if nothing happens this morning, the one thing that I hope would happen today is that everybody who watches on live stream, everybody who sets foot in this building, that each person would walk out with even just a bit of a deeper, hopefully a whole lot deeper, sense of how much God loves you. Nothing else we do here matters as much as that. Feeling, receiving how much God loves you. And so when we receive God's love more fully, our capacity, receive God's love more fully, and your capacity to serve others will flow from that. So that ethical teaching, that's important, but that's not the main focus this morning. That stuff will work itself out. You'll be more capable of it the more you receive God's love in your own life. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus. And, and so in those moments where you feel super stressed, in those moments when you're disappointed and hurt, in those moments you're like, oh, I can't believe I did that again, and you're feeling guilt, in those moments, how do we grow to a place where we can receive that good news of Jesus, that he's not stepping away from you in that moment saying, figure it out, but he's actually stepping toward you, leveling down to be with you and enter into your pain, your hurt, your guilt, because he loves you. This is huge, and it's a lifelong journey. But I'm asking you, I'm inviting you to take another more complete step into that journey this morning. We, uh, so as, as you know, a bunch of us are going through Freedom Session right now. We meet out in the, in the foyer. That's kind of why I'm pointing you that direction. We meet in the foyer every Monday night. There's, I think, 12 of us. And uh, last week, yeah, last week, we were invited to consider the names that we've taken on or the titles, the labels that we've taken on or that Satan's given us, we've just adopted. And there was a, kind of a whole list. The one I kind of grabbed onto was not good enough. Like always this sense of like, ah, if only I was better, if only I was whatever. This, and there was, there was a whole bunch to choose from. But that, that was the one. And, and so we, we took it and we wrote it on a paper and nailed it on the cross. And there was red tissue paper that you kind of nail over top and to show Jesus' blood covering it. But so for me, that's where I'm needing to receive it. And I'm asking for you, what is it? What area of life, what area of pain, what area of guilt, what identity or label that's misplaced do you need to receive this news over? Receive the blood of Jesus over. Receive the row that he leveled down out of love and let that cover that area. So every time that I feel like, shoot, if only I was better at this. If only I could be. And maybe every time you feel like, oh, every time I feel like I'm a failure, whatever. In those moments, pause Fix your eyes on Jesus and receive his love into that place. So I, I hope that we can make this step, this, this growth, to just another step in the right direction of being able to receive God's love. And I think that when we do that collectively, or as you do it individually, but collectively, there'll be a lot less complaining among us. I'll complain less. We'll be able to serve each other better. We'll be able to lay down our preferences that stuff will work itself out as we increase our capacity to receive 
God's love. Receive God's love more fully, and your capacity to serve others will flow from that. Let's say a word of of prayer. God, we invite your love into our hearts. Now we, we believe that's a miracle of the Holy Spirit. It's not something we can muster up ourselves. And, and, and so s- simply, we, we open ourselves up and we say, come. Come and speak those words to us. We ask that you invite us deeper into your story. God, whatever we pray in the power of the name of Jesus against whatever barriers, whatever lies, whatever guilt, whatever's there and in the way of us receiving your love, we pray in the power of the name of Jesus against them and we pray that you would tear down that wall so that your love would be able to flood in and we could feel that and receive that. And so we honor you and we lift you high. Your name is above every other name. You are the king of all things. You have loved us well. Amen.